Good morning, everyone. My name's Eric, pastor here at Trinity. Great to see all of you this morning. This passage that she just read for us is, is a pretty difficult passage for us to hear. Not maybe what we often would expect or would, um, would think would be a good Christmas reflection. But it's a part of the Christmas story. We're in the middle of our series. We've called it With Us. We're looking at the first two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And in these chapters, we see that Matthew, who is the only Gospel writer who gives us the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, is showing us and is describing for us what it means and the significance of those power-packed three words, Jesus is God with us. And so last week we talked about how God is with us fully. In Jesus, we see in one person, one person who is fully God and fully man. He is with us fully. And two weeks ago, we were looking at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. It starts in this very strange way with the genealogy and seeing that through that genealogy, Matthew is trying to tell us that God is with us always throughout history and in all of our lives and stories. So now we're, we're looking at this passage that she just read for us, and the title for this morning's message is God with us in our tears and pain. We have a tradition in our family, I think it's been like 10 or 12 years, I lead all of the kids, all the cousins in a little mini Christmas pageant where one of them will read the story and then we'll kind of act it all out. So we have all the the normal and familiar cast of characters that participate in this. There's Mary and Joseph, and we have some sort of baby Jesus participate in this as well, and the wise men and the shepherds and, and the angels. So when the wise men present their gifts to Jesus, that's pretty much when most Christmas pageants and plays will end. That's pretty much the end of the story, right? But here... Matthew is telling us there's something that happened after that. We can see why after hearing it read, why it's not a part of most Christmas pageants and plays, especially for, for kids. It's very disturbing and it's, it's a pretty terrifying story. But it's a story that Matthew includes to show us what we're going to talk about this morning, that God is with us in our tears and in our pain in a profound way. The way we do Christmas in our culture, it's, it's fairly one-dimensional. It's, uh, sometimes you might think it's sentimentalized. It's, it's maybe a little bit shallow. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and we talk about the true meaning of Christmas, and those kinds of things are what's on all the Christmas movies and specials and songs and that sort of thing. And we enjoy the comforts of home, warmth, even though it's cold in here. My nose is cold, so I'm from Florida, and I'm kind of like part reptile growing up in Florida, so I'm, I'm cold. But Christmas is about warmth and cheer and all that kind of stuff, and I love that. I love Christmas. But the problem with this is that in the holiday season, though we want, we, we, we're drawn to that, the, the warmth, the hominess, the message that this is the, the happiest, most greatest time of year, but it can also be, for many of us, one of the hardest times of the year. The holidays remind us in a unique way of loss and of loneliness. So there's, there's Christmas cheer, 
at Christmas, but there are also tears at Christmas. So if we are only camping out in the very happy, warm places to the Christmas places in the Christmas story, then that sentimentalized, that kind of shallow approach to Christmas, not only can it just not have much meaning to us if we're feeling loss, if we're feeling loneliness, if we're going through hard times, it can actually make those things worse for us. There's the pain that we experience in our own personal stories, and as Darian prayed this morning, during Christmas, the pain and the brokenness of the world, it doesn't just go on pause. These things still happen. And that's why it's important, I think, that we don't just skip over this story that Matthew gives us of what happened after the wise men left. Because this part of the Christmas story is meant to show us how Jesus is God with us, even in the hard stuff, even in our tears and pain. So we're going to look at this passage. There's four points. They're on your uh, outline that's there in your bulletin. We'll also be looking at these. Um, They're displayed up on the monitors. First point, God is with us to enter into our sadness, and our pain. So I'm I'm the parent of four boys. Having been a parent for now 12 years, I can confidently say that there's little that I can confidently say about being a parent. But there's one thing that I've learned, and that has to do with what helps when somebody is crying and in pain. I think I may have even shared something like this before, but with four boys, we have our fair share of crying and pain in the household. Often they inflict that upon each other. And so when somebody's crying and somebody's in pain, I have learned what doesn't help is to just say, what's wrong? You'll be okay. Or you'll get over it. That's fine. That's fine. When my kids are really crying and when they're really in pain, they're not looking for an answer. They're definitely not looking for someone to say, oh, it's not that bad. What they want me to do is just come close and be near to them, to be present. I think that's true for all of us. If you look at verses 13 through 15 again, what they show us is that God, he enters into our tears and our pain. Five times in Matthew 1 and 2, the first two chapters in Matthew, as he's telling the story of the birth and the infancy of Jesus, Matthew pauses as he's telling the story, And he says, this happened to fulfill something that was written in the Old Testament. Fulfillment is one of the overarching themes of these two chapters. When Jesus and his family has to flee into Egypt, Matthew says, here in verses 13 through 15, that this fulfills something written in Hosea. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, at first, that's a little confusing, if you look at that, because that's not a prediction. That's something... That had already happened. Hosea is talking about how God had called Israel out of Egypt. But this makes sense when we see that this whole idea of fulfillment, it's much bigger than Matthew saying there's a verse in the Old Testament here and there that is pointing forward, that it's a prediction of something that Jesus would do. Fulfillment is much bigger than that. Matthew is giving us examples of how the whole story of the Old Testament is filled up and is completed in Jesus. So what he's saying here is that in order for Jesus to rescue humanity, to restore and heal humanity, he first had to enter into the story of human pain and human sadness and brokenness. 
just as Israel suffered under the oppression of Pharaoh, just as Moses had to be rescued from the slaughter of infants back in Egypt, so Jesus did as well. And so we just look at that and we realize the first thing that Jesus did, the first thing that God did when he entered into the world of human history was to enter into the world of human pain, of sadness, of grieving, and brokenness. That was the first assignment Jesus had in his redemptive mission. So that language of fulfillment means this is a very intentional and purposeful part of God's plan. Jesus could have been born at any time under any set of circumstances. He could have said, I'm going to be born in the richest family in Palestine. On the coast there of the Mediterranean, it's going to be comfortable. It's going to be nice, and we'll just take it easy that way. He could have removed Herod from power before he was born. He could have done that. But when he came to be with us as an infant, he didn't arrive in a place of safety or comfort or wealth. He chose to be born under the reign of this violent and this brutal king into a poor and vulnerable family. Why? I love the way that N.T. Wright says it. I want to share this quote with you. You can read along with me. He says, No point in arriving in comfort when the world is in misery. No point having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be with us where the pain is. That's what this chapter is all about. If he is to be truly God with us, he has to be with us where the pain is. That's the first point. Secondly, it's important that we see that Jesus, he didn't just enter into human sadness and pain to observe it, but he entered into it to experience it. And this is where the theology of the incarnation becomes vital, it becomes important, it becomes essential for us and very practical. From this moment on, from the rest of eternity future, God knows what it's like to experience human sadness, human pain from the inside. His first human memories are memories of fleeing, the trauma of having to leave Bethlehem and to flee for his life as a refugee. When my dad passed away seven years ago, there were two kinds of people that I wanted in my life at that point in time. People who could say, I see what you're going through and I'm with you. And then people who could say, I know some of what you're going through and I'm with you. My father passed away too. And it was so meaningful to have both those kinds of people in my life. Those people who could say, in some sense, I know what you're going through. Those were the kind of people that I needed to spend time with to help me process what was going on in my own journey of grieving in in that time in my life. In Jesus, God can say to us, not only that I see what you're going through, but I know it. I felt it. I've experienced it. D.A. Carson says, The God on whom we rely knows what suffering is all about, not merely in the way that God knows everything. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. But he says, by experience. That's the practical power of the incarnation. 
Christmas is then meant to be a rich resource. For those of us who are going through hard times, any pain and sadness we feel, the incarnation is meant to meet us. But it's also, for us, a call to action, to move into the lives of people who are suffering and hurting. Today, many people are saying that we're living in the midst of a refugee crisis. I was looking this up this week. The UN Refugee Agency reports that 33,972 people a day are forced to flee their home because of conflict and persecution in the world. What's happening in Syria and Aleppo, it's terrible. We can barely comprehend what's happening. The pictures that are coming out are just powerfully and and horrifyingly powerful. I saw a picture just this morning of a little boy. He was sitting in the ruins all by himself. There was just ruins and darkness all around him. And he was huddled behind a wall with all the possessions that he owned in a little bag. Just sitting there. So we need to pray. We need to consider how we can act. And this, the reality of this refugee crisis, it was just hitting me this week afresh as I was preparing this message. I came across this story. It's a story of of the Syrian church. It's actually of the Syrian church in Iraq. There's a pastor there named Father Daniel Al-Khori Timotheus. And World Vision tells his story. He fled Baghdad because of persecution to a region in Iraq known as Erbil. And there he felt called to become a pastor, so he entered into the ministry. In 2014, when Mosul fell in Iraq, 1,600 Christians immediately fled out of Mosul into Erbil. And these 1,600 people became a part of his church overnight. And still today, 700 of them are living on the church property as refugees. Here's what Father Timotheus said. He said, Every time I look into the eyes of an Iraqi child from Mosul, a child displaced by war, I see the baby Jesus. These children and their families face the same challenges as Mary and Joseph did so long ago. The Christmas story of yesterday is the story of displaced people today. Jesus was born in a time when Jerusalem was under Roman occupation. It wasn't a peaceful time. From the time of his birth, Jesus was a refugee. And that just, just sitting in that this week, Thinking about that. This is the one story God could write for his redeeming mission for the world. And this story, this part of the story that we often gloss over and skip over and maybe just think, what what does this have to do with anything? The truth is Jesus was a refugee. And so Christianity offers us a God who understands and who comforts us from the inside of our sadness of our pain, and even the injustice in the world. And so that helps us, that gives us a resource for our own sadness and pain, but that also, I think, would call us out and consider. How can we take action? How might God be calling us to pray and to act? That's the second point, God with us, to experience our tears and pain. Second point, and I want to move into the second part of this passage, the second part of that chapter in Matthew, verses 16 through 18. And it shows us that God is not only with us, 
but that he's with us to bring healing, to bring healing to the source of our sadness and pain. At first, it doesn't seem like there's really any hope going on in this passage. But once we read it in the context that Matthew intended, it's meant to bring great hope. It's meant to bring the kind of hope that can meet us at our deepest places of sadness and pain in our lives. So let's see the context, and I want you to stay with me. That's why I have like, these five bullet points. There's five areas of context that we need to understand to feel the comfort and to feel the hope that this passage is meant to give us. So first point, what's happening here is called the slaughter of the innocents. And this is a horrifying example of Israel's tears and pain. The story has been... Uh, has become to be known and is called the slaughter of the innocents. It's based on the population of Bethlehem at the time. It was a pretty small town. The number of little boys who were killed was probably somewhere between 7 and 20 little children. And this was terrible. And the truth is, this was just one example, one picture of Israel's ongoing sadness and pain during the time when Jesus was born. King Herod, his reign was brutal, his reign was terrible. When he came to power, he he slaughtered the last of the dynasty of the priest kings before him, the Hasmoneans. He executed more than half the Sanhedrin, which was Israel's supreme court. He had his own wife, her mother, his sons, all executed. He was a violent man, a terrible man. Two people are called king in Matthew's story. We all know there cannot be two kings at the same time and in the same place. Jesus is called the king of the Jews by the Magi. Herod is called the king. And they represent two kingdoms, two reigns. With the arrival of Jesus, this passage is showing us that the reign of tears, the reign of oppression and injustice is coming to an end. First point of context, the slaughter of the innocents. Terrible example of Israel's tears and pain. Secondly, Jeremiah. When when Matthew was recording this event that happened, he knew the only proper language with which to describe something so terrible is, is the language of lament. So he connected this tragic event back to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known in Israel as the weeping prophet. He was the one who wrote the entire book of Lamentations because he was the prophet of Israel at their lowest point. When Israel was taken, when Jerusalem was conquered and taken into exile. He was there. He experienced it. He was the voice of lamentation during that time. Matthew is saying, by quoting from Jeremiah, that God hears our lament and our weeping. And in Jesus, he came not only to hear, but to heal. As we go through these next few points of context, I hope you'll see this. Jeremiah, Israel's weeping prophet. Thirdly, Ramah. What we see here is a voice was heard in Ramah. What's that all about? This specific lament that Matthew quotes is Jeremiah 31.15. So he's mentioning a significant place, Ramah, and then later he mentions Rachel, a significant person. So this place, Ramah, was a city north of Jerusalem. When Jerusalem was taken over by the Babylonians, the captives were carried away and gathered in the city, Ramah, to be carried out of their home into exile as slaves. So Ramah, in the story of Israel, became the city of sadness. 
par excellence. It, it represented the sadness and the grief of Israel. Fourth, the person mentioned is Rachel. Jacob's wife from the book of Genesis. It portrays her as having intense sorrow in her struggle to bear children and to have children. She eventually did. She became the mother of, of Joseph and then Benjamin. But while giving birth to Benjamin, she knew this was the end for her. She was passing away. She died giving birth to Benjamin, and she named him Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. And she was buried close to the city, which became known as Ramah. So this is the connection between Rachel and Ramah. Ramah is the city of sorrow, and Rachel is the grieving mother of Israel. Fifth point of context. Jeremiah 31. Matthew goes back and he says, I'm going to pull from Jeremiah the language of lament. It's the only way that we can describe what's happening, the sorrow here. He goes to Jeremiah 31 specifically. So far what we have is Israel's tears and pain. We have a weeping prophet, a city of sadness, a weeping mother. Where is the hope of healing? The answer is found in the larger context of Jeremiah 31. As Matthew is quoting verse 15 here, He's not just saying, let's just look at that verse and just kind of pull that verse out. He wants to send us back to the entire chapter. And we said, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet of Israel, but this part of Jeremiah, 30 through 33, in the prophet Jeremiah, that's known as his book of comfort. So he spent a lot of his time lamenting and calling for repentance. But here, Matthew's saying, I want to pull from the book of comfort. And I want to read to you some of the context around verse 15. Here in Jeremiah, he's prophesying of a journey, a second exodus where Israel returns out of exile and back to Jerusalem. Jeremiah 31, 15 says, or actually, let's go back to 13 to get some of the context. Jeremiah says, Then the young woman shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. And give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance. And my people will be satisfied with my goodness. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comfort for her children because they are no more. The verse that Matthew quotes. Going on. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping. And your eyes from tears. For there is reward for your work, declares the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. The picture is of a journey. Of people dancing. Of people celebrating. Of people who have said, my morning is now turned into dancing. For sorrow, now I have joy. So this is the picture that Jeremiah is painting, but all of a sudden, this joyful journey, this joyful procession back is interrupted by lamentation again and weeping. So on the journey back, if you can picture the road back to Jerusalem, they pass through again the city of Ramah, and they're reminded. All that grieving, all that pain, all that sorrow comes back. But God says in verse 15, I have heard your tears. 
I have heard your grieving. In verse 16, he says, keep your voice from weeping. Keep your eyes from tears because I will make sure that we get back, we will make it through the journey. You will come back. All right, we've gone through our tour of Jeremiah. Back to Matthew 2, verse 18. Just as the story of Israel had its Ramah, so we, in our own personal stories, we have our Ramahs. As I'm getting to know you and hearing some of your stories, we all have places in our lives, places of pain, places of grief, places of sorrow, the sad and the painful stuff in our stories. And these are the things that Christmas and the holidays can often bring out and bring to the surface. Matthew 2.15 says, A voice is heard in Ramah. God is saying, I hear your tears. I see your weeping. I know your pain. That grieving and weeping and tears are a part of the journey. And often the first step towards comfort. The first step towards healing is to acknowledge and to feel and to express the tear and the tears and the pains in our lives. As Israel is going back on this journey of joy, as Matthew is introducing Jesus, Savior of the world, he pauses to say, we're not glossing over the tears. We're not just skipping over the grieving. It's a part of the healing. I know for me, in my own story, in my own Ramaz, that this is very true. To actually learn to literally weep and lament and cry has been so difficult for me, but has been a part of my healing and knowing that God hears those things and that God is with me in those things. Matthew is saying if we don't lament, if we don't weep, then we won't ever know that God is with us and God hears us in our remorse. What stands out to me about this verse as I come back to this is this phrase where he says, Rachel refuses to be comforted. In 31 verse 13, which we just read, God says, I will give you gladness. I am comforting you for your sorrow. But in verse 15 it says, but Rachel refuses to be comforted. And then God has to step in and convince Israel that he can bring comfort and healing to her. What we learn from this is one of the biggest obstacles for us in experience healing in our remas, our places of tears and sadness, can be our own refusal to be comforted. Some of you are here today, this morning, one of the biggest obstacles for you in your journey is your rama. Maybe you're struggling to get to a place of faith in Jesus. And you wonder... How can God be with me in this part of my life, in this thing that happened to me? And some of you who are Christians, I've talked to, to many Christians who have said, there's a part of my life, a deeply painful part of my life, that I'm not gonna talk about, that I'm not gonna address. Just gonna act like that never happened. There are three ways that we get into this place of refusing God's comfort. The hard things in our life can cause us to doubt. We're hardened by cynicism. We're hardened by pain. We, have, we refuse to hope because we're afraid 
we won't be comforted. Or we can be so burdened by pain, we can fall into despair. We doubt, we despair. We can't see past our pain. We, we won't see past it. We refuse to be comforted. And it kind of begins to define us. We can doubt, we can despair, we can also deny. We can pretend that it's not a big deal, that it doesn't affect us, and we cannot open up our heart then to comfort, the comfort that God offers to us in that. And these reactions, whether it's doubt, whether it's denial, whether it's despair, are understandable because these are the places in our stories that are just so hard. And I think this is exactly why we have this terrible story at the beginning of the gospel and why Matthew gave it to us. To show us that even when things were darkest in history, that God is working to move his story of redemption forward. It's true on a macro level with God's redemptive plan for Jesus here, but it's also true on a very personal level. Even when things are the most hard, even when things are the most painful, God is at work moving your story of redemption forward. And what we see from this journey is that the journey from exile, the journey from tears, the journey from pain moves to comfort, moves to healing, but it must pass through those places of pain, our ramas. Let me share an illustration. One of the, the, high, the highlights of Christmas for me growing up was we had our nativity set. Maybe some of you still pull out that nativity set. It's a part of your decorations in your home. In my home, we had a porcelain set and it was set up right in our foyer. And of course, the star of the show is the baby Jesus. So my brother and I were always looking at the baby Jesus growing up, giving him a kiss goodnight before bed, and that's kind of our thing. So when we had our kids, I said, we have to have a nativity set. And it's got to be just like the one I had growing up. It has to be porcelain. So we have four boys. Four boys in porcelain. Just don't mix well. So some of you know where this is going. We had a set, kind of like the one I had growing up, and it had a manger, and it had a little porcelain baby Jesus separate from the manger so he could be taken out and handled and touched. And over the years, he was dropped. Over the years, he started to miss some parts of his body, and he was cracked, and we were trying to glue him together and fix him. And so for like three, four years, we were like, we're going to keep going with this. We'll just go with it. Um, but when we moved here from San Diego, we decided we just need to toss that nativity set and start over. But I wish, I wish we would have kept it. Because that broken baby Jesus, glued together, missing his limbs, that's a part of the Christmas story. The Christmas story is that this, this baby, his body, will one day be broken. Jesus didn't come like a superman or an invincible human. He wasn't immune to suffering and temptation and weakness. He didn't avoid ramas. In fact, he passed into places, through places of grieving and sorrow and sadness in every way. The true meaning of Christmas, Matthew wants to tell us, is that God became breakable. And you might say here at the beginning of the story, well, Jesus escaped. Those other babies didn't. 
He escaped the slaughter of the innocents as an infant, but later he would choose not to flee. At the cross, the innocent son was slaughtered. He was killed. He suffered. And the father lamented the loss of his only son. Jesus was broken to heal our brokenness. By his wounds, we are healed, as First Peter says. So Jesus did pass through his Ramah. One day, all our tears and pain will be removed completely. But until then, on the journey from here to there, the cross shows us we can trust him. He is with us, and he will bring us home. A final point of application, and that is that God is with us not only to enter into, not only to experience, not only to heal our tears and pain, but to use our tears and pain. The people who have experienced God's presence with them and healing in their sadness and pain are the people that God can use most powerfully to bring comfort to other people who are suffering, who are going through their ramas. Second Corinthians chapter 4, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. So the last point of application. A Christmas assignment this week. We have one week from now until Christmas. Last week we talked about how the incarnation captures the two key ingredients of any relationship that has closeness and connection. That Jesus is God with us with his embodied presence. Jesus is God with us with exhaustive empathy. That embodied presence and empathy are the keys to closeness and connection. This week, we see yet another key to bringing comfort to people comfort to other people in our lives, especially those who are hurting, those who are suffering. And so the assignment would be, if you know something of God's comfort in your affliction, then God can use you, especially at Christmas, in three ways. To enter into people's stories. And first, we look for people who are hurting. They might not be very far from us. They might be in our own families. Look for people in your life at, the, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, people who are struggling. Let them know you care about them. Let them know that you're just with them. And thirdly, look for ways to help them along their journey to find healing in the gospel. So may God use us this last week before Christmas to offer the gift to people, the gift of comfort, the gift of comfort, for tears and sadness. Please pray with me.
Heavenly Father, this story is difficult to read. And yet, Lord, we know that you have given it to us, that we might be comforted, that we might move with your presence, that we might move towards further healing in the places of pain and the tears in our own lives. And so I pray, Lord, even today as we're thinking about this, as we're listening to this, that by your Spirit you might bring that healing. That by your Spirit you might bring your presence to comfort those who are struggling, for whom the holidays is hard. For those who are still stuck, for those who might be refusing your comfort, would you open up hardened hearts? Would you heal broken hearts? Would you come close to us? Bring us near and comfort us by knowing that you are not only with us in the journey, but you are moving us towards our full and complete healing when you wipe away every tear from every eye. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.